deadened my sin Lost without hope, no place to begin Baby 
Peaceful. 
Praise the Lord. Happy Easter, everybody. Well, I bet you thought we were going to sing to you all morning, but we're not. Stand and sing, everybody. Join with us as we lift up the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, this morning. My soul, his blood has covered my sin. I believe, I believe my shame is taken away, my pain is healed in his name. I believe, I believe I'll raise a banner. My Lord has conquered the grave, my Redeemer is, my Redeemer is, my Redeemer is, my Redeemer is. is. You're sounding great this morning. I know you rescued my soul. Sin, I believe, I believe My shame is taken away My pain is healed in His name I believe, I believe I'll raise a banner Cause my Lord has conquered the grave I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer, and just when I need him, what does it say? He's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, and he talks with me, and he... Long life's narrow way. I almost forgot the words. Can you believe it? <laughs> he lives, he lives salvation to impart. And that is the best part. Amen? Amen. You ask me how I know he lives. You say it with me. He lives within my heart. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I declare to you that Christ is risen. The words he has risen remind us of the joyous news that we come together to celebrate this morning. Jesus' death was not in vain and that he has overcome the power of death. And today, the resurrection of Christ gives us hope for salvation. And the resurrection gives us eternal life. We're going to sing about that. We're going to preach about that. We're going to pray about that. We welcome you to Sunset Hills this morning. Thank you for coming on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning if you're here for the very first time. We'd love for you to do something right now. If you've got a cell phone, you can just take it out. It's one time that it's just fine to have it out in church. In fact, it'd be all right to read Scripture with it and do anything else with it except make a phone call, all right? But if you could text hi to that number that's on the screen, we'd like to just like to have a little information about who you are, your name and address, and we'd just like to get to know you better. You can do that, or you can go by the welcome kiosk out front and, spend, and do the same thing out there. If this is your first time, thanks for coming. If this is your the 50th time or you've been here 50 years we're happy that you're here this morning to worship our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ I'm going to ask our newest uh, uh, staff member Eric Van Patten to come and you haven't met Eric yet you would do this so at the end of the service but he's going to come and pray for our service this morning let's bow our heads for prayer awesome. Father God thank you so very much for gathering your people here today that, Lord, this is the centerpiece of the Christian faith, that you are alive, that you're on your throne, that you're sovereign, that you're reigning right now, that that's not as if darkness has not been pushed back. It has already been pushed back. Victories has been claimed. Lord, I just pray then those victories, those subtle battles that are even going on in some of the hearts of people this morning, that they would realize that Jesus being alive means that Jesus can be trusted. And, Father, that he would be trusted in the hearts of everybody that's listening here in person and those that are online. And Lord, we thank you for the gathering of your church globally as well, that you would advance the kingdom as that you would just continue to save and continue to call people to your name. Thank you so much for just putting all of this together and for your glory and for our good. We ask all this in the name of Christ. And the people said, Amen. Amen. Remain standing as we continue to worship. I serve a risen Savior. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Sons of men and angels say, Hallelujah. Raise your joys and triumphs high.
between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into
Lord, we are standing on the promise that you are coming back to receive us again. So God, today as we celebrate that Easter Sunday morning, Lord, we celebrate that, God, with so much gratitude, so much thankfulness, because God, without that, we would not have hope in this world. Jesus, thank you for your offering, for your sacrifice, for paying the debt that I couldn't pay. Lord, for paying a debt that you didn't owe, but you did it for me. And I love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Right about this time is when the children get up to go out to do children's church. If you're here, you're not familiar with that. If you're in uh, preschool through fifth grade, you can go to the other part of the building. Those of you who would like to be back in fifth grade, you aren't. You stay with me, all right? We're almost having church this morning. I don't know about you, but it seems like these days that many of our weeks seem out of place and a bit strange. This week has been no different. Last week was a hard week. You just never know, it appears, if, especially if you watch too much news, what's happening all around you. And it could be related to something maybe that's happening in our community as we have experienced, or if it's something that's very personal that you or your family have been going through. Maybe it's a type of week where there are emotional shifts from maybe a high. Everything's been going well, and you felt everything's, you know, there's a lot of joy and enthusiasm about life. And then it seems like in the blink of an eye, it's time for a struggle. Life changes, and there's a great consternation. And who knows, maybe that period of time ends in a few days, and then it changes to where uh, life gets better again. It's up and down. Have you ever had that kind of strange week? I certainly have. Most of us probably have experienced it in one time or another. We experience the full gamut of emotions that we feel over the top, but then we have those low emotions as well, maybe deep time of sorrow. If you have, then you would have an idea about what the followers of Jesus experienced the last week of his life, that week that was leading up to the Passover. The week had started out so promising, high. Jesus had entered the city, and there was great fanfare with celebration as he was coming into Jerusalem. Palm branches were waving and people were shouting. You remember what they were shouting? They were shouting, Hosanna! And Jesus was the center of attention as he was riding on the back of a donkey through the streets. And they gave him a hero's welcome. 
While the crowd was cheering, however, Jesus was doing something different. The hero of the day began to weep, weeping for that beloved city of Jerusalem, weeping for the people. That week was found with emotional highs and lows, with all the other events that were taking place uh, on the different days that were leading up to what would happen on Friday. It's back up to Thursday night. No doubt you're familiar with the story of how Jesus was arrested at midnight. He was illegally tried and charged with blasphemy. He was denied, let us sink in, by his own disciples, betrayed by one of them, falsely accused by his nation, lied about in testimony, tried illegally at night, and abandoned by the same people who earlier in the week had proclaimed, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Those same people who were singing and shouting this now are shouting, crucify him. Because he's been sentenced to death and ordered to be crucified. He hangs on a cross for hours in unimaginable agony and pain. He'd been tortured, beaten, flogged, whipped, torn, and came about as near to death as possible in the scourging by the Romans. And while he hangs on the cross in utter agony... He's mocked and scorned and ridiculed. But yet he says, while all this is taking place, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he dies around 3 p.m., He's taken down from the cross, and he's placed in a borrowed tomb. And the crucifixion of Jesus seemed to be just like the thousands that had taken place up to that time, both before and after Jesus was hung on that cross. And just all, like all the other crucifixions that had taken place and what it was meant to do and had done in the past, this too did exactly what it was intended to do. It produced death. And Jesus was dead. And everyone who witnessed the man hanging on the cross, they know it. And so Friday is a day of pain and suffering and agony and utter disappointment and defeat. And as the sun goes down, the Son of God hung cold and lifeless on a Roman cross just outside the city walls. His most faithful followers sat in dejected wonder as the day ended and the Sabbath began. 
I'm sure they were thinking just as we would have been thinking had we been in that day. How could this happen? He was the Messiah. He had promised abundant life. His followers fully expected that he would become their king and, and that all of Israel, Israel would now be prosperous and free. But yet his disciples, no doubt, were crushed and confused. They had followed for a few years now. How could he not be with us to continue what he started? How could this happen to their master? Had they followed in vain? Had they believed only to have it taken away? Had such terrible evil evidently and ultimately triumphed over goodness? In less than a week, the Messiah had gone from being celebrated to crucifixion, and nothing made sense. Not only had Jesus failed to improve Israel, but the nation's future seemed even bleaker now. And discouragement and desperation reigned supreme. They had such great hopes, but Jesus was dead. Everyone knew that he would stay dead. And hope that was being produced when he was alive, it seemed possible, and now it's vanished away. Oh, the disappointment, the loss of dream, and the sadness of living, losing such a friend. And Friday was dismal. You may have heard and you've seen maybe posted somewhere that Saturday was silent. But thank God there's Sunday. Great old pastor S.M. Lockridge talks about Friday. But then he says, Sunday's coming. I declare to you that Sunday came. And Christ is risen. Would you pray with me, please? I can't help Father but just be emotional. To try to put myself in that familiar story. Yet we, the church today, we celebrate because we're on this side of what happened. We know what happened on Friday because history did such a great job of recording it. But we also know what happened on Sunday and we've been able to look with anticipation for what took place. And we celebrate that today. And let us walk away from here shortly with knowing what it means to us. And it makes a difference in our lives as we go, as your family, as your body, to proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.
All four Gospels gave an account of what happened that week, each one giving different pieces of the story, depending on who or what they wanted to focus on. While they have different details surrounding the story, the authors of the Gospels right representing their own unique perspective, how they saw things, and the four of them together tell the whole account of the resurrection. So we pick up, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it'll be on the screens as well, and in John's account in chapter 20, and here's how it starts. Early, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and she found the tomb had been the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now get this, this Mary, this close friend and followers of Jesus, certainly she had been devastated just like the others had of the death. Who is this Mary Magdalene? It's well to take a look at it because her story really fits a lot of our stories. She's a woman whom we're told that was demon-possessed. She had suffered, I, I'm, excuse me, I don't mean that y'all were demon-possessed, okay? <laughs> but there are similarities to what she went through in being demon-possessed. Well, maybe some of you are, <laughs> come to think of it. But she had suffered from this, with this affliction of demonic presence in her life. The Bible says that she had seven different demons in living inside of her. And since she is possessed with these demons, she's considered unclean and relegated to a life of isolation and loneliness apart from the other citizens of the town. And in that state, in that situation, she's one that would have no hope. She would live a life of depression. She is consumed daily by being tormented and self-inflicted hard and detrimental actions to herself and to others. It would be reasonable to say she's a broken woman. And Jesus comes along and he heals her. And once this woman who had no hope, no family, and no future, she's cleansed and made whole, and now she gets to live in a joyous life with community. And she becomes a devoted follower of Christ, the one who saved her. So it became very personal to her what happened on that Friday and now what she's experiencing on this Sunday morning. And she's one that understood the depth of disparity that Jesus had brought her from. She understood where she was and where Jesus took her to. She has experienced firsthand what true redemption looks like and knows about the grace of God. Once doomed, she's now rescued. Her life has become so much better, as it does when we are rescued by Jesus. And after she's healed, she supports Jesus' ministry by making financial contributions. She's <clears throat> likely in the same room where Jesus shared his last meal with the 12 disciples. 
She's with him when he goes to trial. And when they placed Jesus' body in the tomb, the Bible says she saw where the body was laid. She loves Jesus. But the one she had placed so much hope in was dead. You can imagine she's lost that hope. And to top it all off, it seemed that someone had stolen the body of Christ. Could get things get any worse? And no wonder she's crying. John tells us that Mary made her way to the tomb, and it was still dark. She and Salome, according to Mark, had been discussing how they could give Jesus the proper burial. But there's a problem. They would be unable to move the heavy stone that sealed up the entrance. And as she's going there, she's wondering who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. A heavy stone. Depending on the type of material that it was made of, it could weigh in as much as between one and two tons. Way too heavy for a couple of women to move, or even men. So it's going to be a difficult task to move it. But once she got there, she discovered the stone had already been rolled back from the entrance. And she's horrified <clears throat> by what she sees. So upset, she turns to run away. Again, I try to place myself in her thinking, in her situation. Who knows what she's thinking? But I'm sure as she's running, she's frantically trying to figure it all out. We do that, you know, from experience. When things happen, we're trying to discover why they happen we try to figure it out playing games in her mind look what she does verse 2 says she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple the one that Jesus loved and listen to her rationale for <clears throat> the missing body of Jesus she said they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put it He's gone. I don't know where they put his body. One thing is clear. When she got to the tomb, and when she went to tell the news, she was not expecting a resurrection. I mean, why would she be? She's expecting to find a body. She believes because there's no body that someone has taken it. Seems rational, right? The body had no life the last time she saw it. It had been in place in a place where they housed the dead. So if a dead body was entombed there for a few days earlier, then it should be there now. It's a reasonable assumption, but it's not true. A false assumption. That's not what she finds, and certainly it's not what she expects. So at some point, she draws a conclusion, trying to make sense of it all. They took it. They took the body. 
She doesn't know who, but somebody. So she runs and she tells Peter, John, somebody's taken the Lord's body. Luke tells us how the men responded, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Seems like not. Wait a minute. Who was it she was telling? The disciples. He should have been expecting it, but the words to them seemed like nonsense. Maybe you've wondered if this whole story about the resurrection is true. You wouldn't be the first. You certainly won't be the last. Maybe there's just a hint of skepticism about this whole thing. Oh, maybe you follow along just a little bit, but you're just not quite sure if the actual resurrection took place. His own disciples, they themselves doubted initially. The very ones that he had told that he, he would be killed, but yet he would live again, they themselves did not believe that it was true on the very morning that the tomb was found empty. Not a single one of them had believed. They all assumed that the crucifixion was just, would be just like all the others, that the same result would happen. The one who would be crucified was dead and would stay dead. They all assumed that. Even so, word had come to them that the tomb was empty and someone needed to go check it out. We know what happens. Peter couldn't help himself. He had to go check it out. Anybody like Peter? You've got to see for yourself. It's not such a bad thing to do. And John went with him. So what verse 3 says, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. And they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he stooped down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but they didn't go in. It says that they looked in and saw the burial cloth just lying there. The King James Version states that John, he stooped into, looked into the tomb, but, and saw those clothes, but he stays outside for whatever reason. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there where the, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded and lying apart from the other wrappings. You get the picture? Peter shows up a few seconds, maybe a minute or so later, probably out of breath, goes straight into the tomb. That really says a lot about his character, the boldness that he had both before the death and then afterwards. But he notices something unusual. He finds the empty tomb. But left there where the body lay were the linen strips in two separate piles or spaces. So let's go back again, okay, and let's, let's, let's put ourselves into the story and think about what it must have felt like at this point to be Mary, John, and Peter. Once again, we revisit the idea that no one expects the resurrection, certainly not these three or any others. 
So there must have been a plausible explanation for the missing body, just as Mary had come to that conclusion as she's running up to these guys telling them that the body has been stolen. But whom? Who would take the body of Jesus? We can speculate maybe at what they might have been thinking. Maybe it was just some random person who got a group of people together and thought it would be cool to steal the body of this famous man. And in that, you remember, they would have to overpower the guards, move the big heavy stone, and then take his body away. I'm sure that there were groups of people that might have done something like that. It would seem logical, but silly for them to do it. Maybe there's another explanation that they're thinking about. It was Maybe it was the grave robbers. They were wondering if there were any valuables there in that tomb wrapped up in the linen cloths that were worth looking into and, and taking away. It might have been buried with Jesus. Or maybe, perhaps, it was the religious leaders. That would seem logical for them to think about that. I mean, Jesus had predicted His resurrection, and, and maybe those leaders didn't want that to happen, so they would try to trick everyone into believing it only to produce it later. So we better go get the body. By nature, it seems that they would try to solve this mystery of a missing body. Human nature is that way. It was then, just as it is now. When we can't explain something, we try to come up with explanations. And often, often we will make out and put some sort of human element to the very thing that God does and miss the whole thing. I would expect Peter and John, and certainly Mary, must have frantically trying to be working all of this out in their minds. But when Peter and John got to the tomb, something happened different. They found evidence that would say that no one stole the body. The evidence, if you stop and think about it, first would be that it would have taken more than one person to move the stone. Generally speaking, the, the rolling stone would have been set inside of a groove in the front of the entrance and secured by other uh, stones that were placed there so it would keep from falling over. And often the, groom, the groove would not be level. It would be on an incline, slightly sloped. And to open the tomb, the stone would have had to been rolled up the groove in the opposite direction. Not an easy feat. And secondly, as far as evidence goes, they would have had to overpower the Roman guards. What person or persons would even dare to challenge these formidable soldiers? And then thirdly, there's evidence that if you think about it, as they looked in, they saw the burial clothes neatly folded in place. The cloth around his head was, was folded, it says, like a napkin. No robber would ever take time to fold a cloth like that. I don't want to be grotesque or anything like that. 
But have you ever had a bandage wrapped around a wound where the blood has seeped into it and you try to take it off? It comes apart in pieces. And certainly, no thief would have said, Hey, guys, let's be sure and fold the cloth up before we go. We, we, don't, want it, we don't want to get the reputation of being untidy grave robbers. Let, let, let's neatly fold everything up. No, they would have been in a hurry and never taken time to fold it up. What about the strips of clothing that have been wrapped around the body? I heard it said like this from a pastor. He said in the Greek it refers to the strips of linen still being in their folds. I wish I had what that really looked like to show you as an example these strips of linen that they had wrapped around his body were still just lying there. And as if the body had just been pulled out or sucked out and the strips had just collapsed down. For they've been looking for something valuable probably would have pulled it off strip by strip let's see if we can find it what Peter and John discovered with all those strips wrapped around the body they were left in the form of a body as if Jesus himself had just kind of slipped right out of them none of those possibilities seem to make any sense to him by now the detail at which John remembers and records the way they found the tomb lends credibility to an exit of a body in a systematic and careful form. We pick up in verse 8, Then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the Scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. I think this is just incredible, how John records it. Then... They went home. They did what? After this remarkable experience at the tomb, let's go home. You know what? That's not so unbelievable, to be quite honest with you. Because quite often that's exactly what we do when we see God do some incredible thing in our lives in the life of our family maybe in the life of our country we just kind of go oh home let's just kind of go home yeah it was cool but hmm but that's not you no you wouldn't do that but they did. They find it just like Mary had said, and they go and investigate, and they discover the order of the linen strips, and they go home. But Mary must have stayed behind at the tomb. Verse 11 says she was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. And she saw 
two white-robed angels, one sitting at, the, sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels at, angel asked her. And she's still in this mindset. And she answers, because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. I don't know where they have put him. Again, just let us sink in just for a second. Angel talking to Mary. No big fanfare. It's just a conversation she's having with one angel sitting at the head and one angel sitting at the foot where Jesus' body had been lying. She doesn't seem to realize that she's even talking with angels. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. Watch this. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? And she mistakes him. She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him, and I will go and get him. Again, once again, get the setting. She's brokenhearted. She's so distraught. She doesn't even recognize the man who had asked her why she's crying, the man who had she traveled with, the man that she was so in love with that had rescued her from a broken life, and she mistakes him for the gardener. Even ask him if he's the one taking the body because I want to go and get it and she still doesn't believe yet that there's been a resurrection but then but then all Jesus had to say to her is one word I can imagine it was a compassionate loving way that he caused her name Mary she turned to him, and she cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. And when he called her name, she recognizes that it's Jesus, and she goes and he grabs him and hanging on for dear life. And Jesus said, Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go tell my brothers, go tell. Go and share the good news. Tell them I'm ascending to the Father and your Father, my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, all of a sudden, it becomes very clear to her that Jesus has come back to life. So much so, she's so exuberant by now that she can't help herself, but she goes and she grabs hold of Jesus, just like we would do. Mary Magdalene found the other disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Soon, more would discover that Jesus has risen. Can you say amen to that? More. You know who's a part of that more? It's me, you. 
In that day and time, over 500 people would see and testify just like Mary had done, that Jesus is risen. No other event, no other event in the world in history equals the resurrection. No other event has a greater expression of God showing his love for mankind than Jesus coming to this world and enduring crucifixion and death and then the resurrection of Jesus. Thank God for his love for us. It is a supreme and ultimate demonstration of the extent that God went to to show his love for mankind. And it has become the cornerstone of Christianity. It is what our faith hangs on. Oh yeah, the birth of Christ was magical it was miraculous and we make much ado about it but the resurrection thank god is the main event that's why we celebrate today that's what gives us hope it validates who jesus was and who he said he was and who he is today that event sets christianity apart from all the other religions because of one reason jesus rose from the dead None other like that did. And he's still alive. Oh, if the story had ended with the crucifixion, Jesus just would have been viewed as a good man who did a lot of good things. Without the resurrection, the life and ministry of Jesus would have had some just a minimal impact upon the world. But no one else but God's Son could come back to life after death. And that changed everything. Can I tell you that the resurrection changed everything? The sum total of all the promises of God that God made with mankind, it was validated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, you may wonder, what are those promises? Another way of saying it is, what, what, what does it have to do with me? What kind of impact does it have upon our world? What difference does it make? Well, the first promise is this. It's the promise that my sins can be forgiven. My sins can be forgiven. Romans 6, 10 through 11 says this, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You cannot save yourself from your own sins. It took Jesus Christ to do it. He conquered sin and death on the cross. And he rose again on the third day, demonstrated his power over the forces of darkness. He answered the sin question and made forgiveness available for all who believe. He came to this lost world, this, this sin-sick, horrible world, and he paid the price for our sin so that we could have forgiveness. And he gives us a choice. 
of whether or not we're going to receive it. Can I tell you this? You want to escape the sin of your life? The only one who can do that for you is Jesus Christ. You can't work to overcome it. You can't be good enough to overcome it. You can't buy it. It is only paid for through what Jesus did. That's what he meant when he said it's finished. God was satisfied. The sin debt was paid. Jesus died. But what made the difference in the death of Jesus from all the other deaths of crucifixion was his resurrection. And that offers us forgiveness. The Bible says this in Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. For the blood of Christ, by the blood of Christ, we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great, how great, how can we not shout this? How great is the grace of God when he gave to us such large measure? Can you all say amen to that? How great is the grace of God? And then Romans 3.22, we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we are all can be saved in the same way no matter who we are, where we are, what we have done. We can be made right. You know who that covers? Me? You? despicable characters it doesn't matter you can be forgiven no matter who you are what you've done everything is forgiven when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what was accomplished through Christ is greater grace what's the song grace grace God's grace Greater than all of my sins. I kind of butchered that one like I did the other one, didn't I? But you get the point. What was accomplished is Jesus Christ is greater than my sins and my past and my problems. And what forgiveness does, it does this. It makes a way for salvation. I can be saved. He chose to die on my behalf, on your behalf. He took our place so we could be saved. He became the ultimate sacrifice to pay the penalty for sin, to mend the broken relationship between you and God. And here's what Romans says. Paul was writing, he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is available for all who believe and confess. Here's another promise by God. I'm loved by him. I am loved by Him. The cross and the resurrection proves that. I'm loved by God, and God's never going to stop loving me. You can't make Him stop loving you. You can try, but you're going to fail at it because God's love is not based on who you are or 
It's based on who he is. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what he's done. The Bible says God is love. And the only reason that you know anything at all about love is because he loved you first. Remember the old song, Maybe I'll get this one right. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. And it says it the third time. Oh, how I love Jesus. Why? Because he what? First, first loved me. And God's never going to stop loving you. The most famous verse in the Bible starts out by saying, For God so loved. He didn't wait for me to love him first. He loved me before I ever knew. He sent Jesus to explain just how much he loves me. Here's another promise. I have purpose. I don't have to wander around trying to figure out who or what I'm supposed to do. I discover that there's a greater purpose for my life. It's God's purpose. And when I'm most satisfied is when I am carrying out God's purpose for my life and make Him the Lord of my life. And you let me veer from that any way whatsoever, I become very unhappy. And so do you. When you discover your true purpose, wow, it's such a sweet place to be. Are you there? A lot of folks never get to this point of discovery. They just sort of drift through life, bouncing from one thing to the next. And life controls them rather than God controlling their life. If you want to know what your purpose truly is, then there's only one place that you can discover that. That's first of all by believing in Jesus Christ, asking Him to save you and follow Him talk to him then and get to know him make him the lord of your life that's how you would discover your true purpose in life you can only do it when you spend time with him and he knows you better than you know yourself and if you would do that he'll begin to lay out what his purpose is for you the Bible says this in Colossians 1.16. Man, this is a great verse. Everything got started in Christ and finds its purpose in Him. That really says that I'm not an accident. I was made by God and you were made by God. And until we understand that, life is never going to make sense. But when we truly discover it, life changes. Until then, there's going to be an emptiness in your life. And that emptiness can only be filled by God. Why do you think there's so much misery in the world? Because people are empty. Here's what the Bible says in, Hebrew, in Ephesians 1. It's in Christ that we find out who we are. That's our identity. And what, our what and, and what we are living for, that's our purpose. Long before we first heard of Christ, got our hopes up, He had His eye on us, had designs for us, for His glorious living, part of the overall purpose He is working out in everything and everyone. You get it? Another great promise that I have is I get to see life differently. It affects how I live my life. Doesn't it? 
How can you go through life being a believer and it not affect how you live? I love what Pastor Mike Smith, a good friend of mine, said. From my perspective, the resurrection makes all the difference in how I deal with Jesus, which in turn affects how I see and respond to God, the creation, others, and even myself. I see life differently. Such a huge benefit. For when those weeks come, like I was talking about earlier, I don't have to live a defeated life. I have hope. And times like we live in right now, don't we need hope? When you realize God's purpose for you, that changes everything. We sang about it earlier. It gives us a living, living that's a reference to the fact that Christ is living. He becomes our living hope. Ephesians 1, 18 and 20 says this, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the, I like this, I like this phrase, confident hope. He has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right, at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the cool thing about all of this is that I can have hope. It gives me hope of today, but it also gives me the power, the power that, Jesus, that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. It's available to me. It's available to you today. His hope, His power is there for us to enjoy. What does that look like? Well, the power of the reservation, the power of the resurrection is the power to free you from your past, not to be hung up by what's happened, but to set yourself free. When you mess up or you make a big failure in your life, you need God's power to start all over. God's power gives you that ability. It can change your personality. The things that you can't change, the things that you don't want to change, God can help you change that. It is the power to keep going when you feel like giving up. That's the kind of power that God provides. It's the power to conquer problems and habits that you can't seem to break. It's the power to keep on overcoming everything. It's the power to heal broken marriages. It's the power to transform finances. It's the power, and it's available to any Christian that is willing to yield to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to be leading your life. That's God's power. And it's exactly the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead with. Ephesians 1, 18 and 21. Now he is far above any ruler of authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. So because of the hope of the resurrection, our lives can be changed forever. And I can see life differently. Here's another promise. We receive the Holy Spirit. 
The night before Jesus goes to the cross, he brings his inner circle together. And he says, guys, I'm, not gonna let, I'm going to let them arrest me. I'm going to let them kill me on the cross. Three days later, I'm going to come back to life. And they didn't believe it. And then I'm going to go back to heaven after 40 days. But I'm going to send my spirit to be with you. And he did that. Later we see the result of that in Acts 1.8, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God never intended for us to go through this life all by ourselves. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness, to be present with us. Isn't that great news? That he's with us. He's in this place right now. And here's the last promise I want to share with you. I have eternal life. You know what that says? That God has a future for me. To be with him forever. Our resurrection secured by the power of God, the power of Christ, demonstrated in His resurrection. You know, when you stop and think about it, even if all of those other promises were not there, isn't this one great enough to celebrate, to have eternal life? Jesus bringing Himself back to life changed everything. And because he lives, we live. And when you stop and think about that, what that really says is I don't have to fear death anymore. Because Jesus proved that there's life beyond death. I was telling someone earlier, many of you all know, Last weekend, I conducted two funerals, one on Friday night, one on Saturday. And I stood in this very place with complete confidence that I could look at those families who all sat right down here because of the faith of Martha and Margaret they live today because they have eternal life made possible through Jesus Christ. And if you've ever had a loved one who's left this world and they were a believer, you know what? They have eternal life also. And they're in heaven to live forever and ever. That's what Jesus told Martha. I am the one who raises the dead and gives them life again. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies like anyone else, shall live again. He is given eternal life for believing in me and shall never perish. So I ask you, 
Do you have eternal life promised to you? Seriously, I want you to answer that question in your mind. Have you come to that point where you really may had to be faced with what are you going to do about Jesus? If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? You say, well, I hope that I go to heaven. I hope I've done enough good things in my life that when God weighs it all out, He will look at me and say, yeah, you weren't so good sometime, but really considered it you're not such a bad person if you're counting on that then you know where you're going to spend eternity it is not in heaven you will spend it in hell separated from God for all of eternity but here's what the Bible says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him Believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You want to have a guarantee of where you're going to spend eternity? It's how you do it right there, by believing in him. And you know what happens with an everlasting life or eternal life? It just keeps going and going and going and going. And a million times, a million more times, going and going, never ending. Jesus is alive. Would you pray with me, please? I know there's a large crowd here, and I'm thankful for it. I know you probably have plans right after the service is over and do different things, and, and I'm grateful for that as well. But in these moments right now, the most important thing is for you to consider what your relationship is with Jesus Christ. And nothing could be better for you to leave this church in a, shortly, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that you have Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, and secured your place in eternity forever and ever. And as a side benefit, you get all of those other promises that I've talked about. Life will change for you. If you're outside of the Salvation Act, if you haven't ever accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, and right now, pray these words, Father, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes and have disobeyed you throughout my life. 
I confess my failures and I ask you to forgive me. I cannot repay you for the debt that I owe. I know I cannot be good enough on my own to earn heaven. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins, that he was buried and three days later was raised again to life. I believe that through the sacrifice of your son Jesus and through him alone, my sins can be forgiven. And right now, Lord, I ask you to forgive me now and grant me eternal life with you. And if you prayed that prayer and you're serious about it, you've just been saved. You've just inherited eternal life. ask you to do something in a moment. Take some courage. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to come and, and just share it with me. And I'll pray with you and we'll set up a time to talk further if you want to. Talk about what next steps look like. But let this be the day when your life changes forever. When you become a child of God. And let Him be the Lord of your life. I'm going to ask you if you prayed that prayer in a moment. As we always stand and as we'll sing together, that you just come and tell me about it. Maybe you've got something else going on in your life and you just need to come in this altar, spend some time in prayer, then I encourage you to do that. You know, don't worry about anybody else. Just do what God wants you to do right now as we stand and as we sing. Who has the power to raise the dead? And who can save us from our sin? He is our hope. Our righteousness, Jesus, only Jesus. And who can make the blind to see? Who holds the keys that set us free? He paid it all to bring us peace.
above all other names, Father. And one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that name. I pray in the meantime, Father, we're willing to do it willingly, boldly, courageously, in a world that so desperately needs to know the name of Jesus and what he did for the world. Help us as we leave this place in a few minutes to make that difference by being your, your people, your body. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And, uh, and it's so great to see you. You guys they are all look good. looking they, they good. They look good, don't they? So yeah. good to see these uh, seats filled. And uh, hey, if you uh, don't have plans next week, we'd love to see you again next week. And guess what? If you do have plans, cancel them because we'd really love to see you next week. And you know what I'll do? I, I will preach a short sermon. No, you know what? I'm not going to preach at all next week. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be out of town. So you're going to get a short sermon next week. Is that good enough? Well, you didn't have to do that. It's Easter, right? I want to introduce to you a family that's coming to be a part of our work here. Eric and Lydia Van Patten. Eric, would you and your wife please stand? I think we have some slides here. We welcome these guys to our church. Eric is going to come on up here where you see. I told Eric that whenever we're on stage together that he has to stand on that step and <laughs> I stand here and you see why he's almost as tall as me on the floor well actually it's that step you had to stay on and not that one there <laughs> yeah Eric and Lydia coming Eric's going to be our pastor of uh, evangelism discipleship we may change the name but that's what we're working on but that's the essence of what it will be doing they have several of their family here and would you family members stand also, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, welcome these guys. You will get to know more of them as the time goes by. They have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten children. Wow. And a couple of uh, daughters-in-law and sons-in-laws and they have one grandchild, okay, which is the best of all, right? Yeah. So we're glad that these guys are here and uh, we're going to be joining us in our work here. Yeah, I know that you're going to make them feel welcome. Thanks, guys. God bless you guys. Thank you. It is good to see you again. I uh, offer that uh, invitation as well. We would love to have you come back. Some of you all are, it's been a while since you've been here. I'm not preaching to you i'm just glad to see you all right so uh you please come back any chance you have an opportunity to a lot of families are here we're glad that you came this way as well may god bless you and what we do and uh, what we will be doing in this community we invite anyone to come and be a part of this work here to help us do that okay are you glad to be in the house of the lord today amen, amen. would you please stand Y'all been all in close quarters this morning, so just turn around and tell somebody you're glad to see them. You are dismissed after that. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging 
and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of our pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. And let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.